Welcome to the Healthy Insider Podcast, where we help supplement and functional food brands create better products. Welcome to the podcast, everyone. Today, I'm talking with Wilson Lau, Vice President of New Herbs, a San Leandro, California-based, third-generation Chinese herb company with a great story. If you'd like to see the full video from this conversation, you can see that on the Supply Side YouTube channel. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Catching Up. I'm John Benninger. It is Friday, and today we have Wilson Lau, Vice President of New Herbs out of San Leandro, California, uh, a third-generation leader of this company that was founded in 1979 as a family retail business in the Chinatown area of Oakland, California, and today is a leading importer of Chinese herbs. Wilson, great to see you, and uh, thanks for coming on the show. Well, it's great to see you as usual, and it's nice to see a familiar face that we don't get a chance to see every day. That's true, and especially lately. I mean, normally uh, you and I would at least cross paths at either, you know, the APA breakfast and meeting or uh, that wonderful dinner that a small group of us have been sharing for years during Natural Products Expo West. And, of course, neither of those was able to happen this year. Yeah, but it's good to see familiar faces nonetheless, you know, even though it's not the terms that we normally would do it, it's still good. Yes, it is. Speaking of good, uh, before we jump in, how are you and how are all the wonderful people there at New Herbs? Well, I'm doing personally great. Uh, besides trying to get as much done as possible to uh, make sure the industry keeps on running um, and have ingredients to make the products to get to the end users, I have a, a four-month-old and a two-year-old and, uh, you know, get a lot of extra kid time in or toddler baby time in throughout the day uh, when I'm home. And, you know, one of the things that having a, a two-year-old teaches you is that you just have to approach a problem with a different set of eyes. Like they have such ingenuity and curiosity and uh, sort of learning from him how to rework all the problems that we're facing today with a fresh perspective and a great attitude and the people at new herbs are doing great you know we really uh adapted all the measures for COVID 19. Uh, one of the things that we haven't uh, really pushed on is a lot of overtime and doing extra shifts just because we think that's important for our our partners and people at work to really get the health and rest that they need to maintain their health. So, you know, we are trying our best to do as much as we can within the time that we have, the normal time frame. But uh, hopefully that's going to be, because we don't think this is going away anytime soon. So we want to, you know, value their health as well. So it's not only putting the measures in place, but also sort of saying, taking a step back and saying, they'll, they'll be tomorrow. <laughs> right. Well, and it is it is the long game, right? I think about the the history of the long history of your company, and, and even before uh, its official founding, I guess in in the late 1970s, but tracing its roots all the way back to your grandmother, mm -hmm. um, Dr. Bing Yin Lee, uh, uh, who graduated in the 1930s, was one of the first 
females to graduate as a doctor from the Chinese Medical Institute in Shanghai. So this is, you, you all have been involved in this for a very long time. Yeah, we have. And, you know, we're lucky to have be part of this tradition of traditional Chinese medicine and part of the health industry and spanning from moving around from China to the U.S. So I think it's really, we're really focused on what will take, what we do today will allow us to be here tomorrow and in the future. It's really about the long game and uh, what we do today is definitely for building upon what we can do in the future. So it's never just today. <laughs> yeah, that's a good way of looking at it, especially right now for everyone. Um, so yeah, you import a lot of herbs from China. Obviously, uh, COVID-19 has uh, probably Im been impacting new herbs and in, in in that supply chain uh, longer than many companies. Um, how have you seen the situation evolve? Uh, it's still relatively new, though it feels like it's <laughs> been around for a long time. But how, how are you seeing all this evolve? Well, I, I think what we've seen, because we're, you know, we're focused on China and we're basically China experts. We buy everything from China um, because we focus on traditional Chinese herbs. So there's not a, you know, minus American ginseng. It all grows in China. <laughs> right. Uh, so what we saw was we start seeing you know rumblings around early january about this and this being an issue possibly being an issue and really you know as soon as we get information we're really quick to act upon it and try to make contingency plans the lucky thing is there's three things that made us really lucky when it comes to this particular scenario and being able to manage better than most companies the first thing is because we focus on organic and lab tested herbs we contract out with our farmers wild collectors in advance because you can't just go out there and qualify a, a lot easily um, it's not a extract where it's sort of standardized and there's been manipulation it's like coffee or the grapes that go into wine you know you really have to know what you're getting and commit to it and work with that um, so we were, we had a contract out for the fall harvest, fall winter harvest. So a lot of that stuff was processed and getting ready to ship toward the end of the year, beginning of the year. Uh, we traditionally always plan for Chinese New Year's, which is this year was in February. So we got live shipments going in, coming out. And then thirdly, you know, we have a lot of great partners in China due to our long history of doing business there and with them. Um, a lot of our partners have been us since, with us since the beginning. 30, 40 years, so it's um, it's not new. So a lot of faith, trust, and relationship building that has been going on for multi multiple years. So these three factors really helped us adjust to COVID, get information out, get the real, you know, the lay on the ground, what's going on, um, and having inventory never hurts, especially if we had it in both places. I think the one thing that even though it seems like it's been with us forever, there's always something new. And I was just laughing the other day with uh, Suzanne, who does our PR, because she, because as soon as we heard shelter in place, I called Suzanne. I was like, start drafting <laughs> the press release about how we're going to have to close down. And you know, after reading the shelter in place uh, warnings for the Bay Area counties, the six counties, we we're 
just you know, we we found out we're essential business qualified under essential business, then she could put that away. But just the speed and change which things are going on with COVID is amazing, and it's a uh, gives you an opportunity to learn a lot of things. I mean, it's stressful, but at the same time, it's if you take put on your learning cap, it can be interesting and fun too. <laughs> yeah, well, we're all having to adapt, and that is. Uh, you know, I, I see good things coming out of this over time. Some of this adaptation, I think companies are looking at their supply chains and trying to say, is my supply chain resilient enough? Are my processes, are my business processes in place resilient enough? Uh, really, a lot of things are being reconsidered and sustainability, something I know you're very committed to, uh, is part of that discussion and part of that equation, probably more than it's ever been before, I think, um, which, again, this is not new for uh, you and your organization. It's been a foundation of uh, your company. But to see this discussion of supply chain transparency and resiliency and sustainability elevating right now, hopefully this is one of the one of the good things that comes out of all of this. Yeah, you know, I think that's one of the things that we hope the industry and our industry uh, adapts is a focus on transparency, supply chain, the robustness of their supply chain, and also um, the sustainability of the ingredients they use. And I think, you know, one of the things that what we see out there is that it's not so much that we need to change where we get the ingredients from or where we get our things from. It's really about changing our whole supply chain mentality of just in time. And it's gonna change the way we think about things. And it's, for example, I'll give you an example for our industry that we've been sort of, with some companies we've been working with and with their contract manufacturers as a collaboration partnership, a true collaboration partnership so in a typical model in our industry, as you know, contract manufacturers go buy the ingredients to fulfill their, to buy, you know, fulfill their, make their vitamin C for their company that they're contracting with. But I think, you know, what with transparency and sustainability, it has to be a, a collaboration instead of just being an order and then they go do their thing. Because now you need to find out where you have the ingredients that it matches up with what marketing is saying and legal is saying and having the certifications. So it's going to be no longer just, you know, order fulfillment. It's going to be order partnership, partnership, partnership. And it's going to change. And with that kind of change, you no longer can just say, oh, I'm going to just buy whatever I need today. So I think with that kind of planning and changing the model, it's going to help really change things and help with sustainability because now when you have that relationship and collaboration now you can talk about sustainability and investing into those projects because otherwise if you don't have commitment it's just a financial burden and commitment on the supplier side which is us and we don't mind doing it but the question is really i can't do it for 50 projects. I could do it for one project, two projects. But with collaboration, now I can do four, five, six. I could double the number of projects because the funds are there to do so and the commitment is there. 
Yeah, yeah, I think that shift from transactions to relationships is a big, big part of this, and it's a it's a positive shift. Speaking of uh, relationships, um, you have a lot of relationships in China, uh, all the way to the farmers themselves, which is, uh, as you're describing, necessary in order to have this long-term focus on sustainability and transparency and all of that. And really, I love the uh, comparison to wine, you know, really understanding where uh, the botanical or the plant is coming from and how it's grown and when it's harvested and, and all of those things that go into making a quality product just like just like a wine. Um, mm. how, what are the conditions like in China right now, particularly uh, with your farmers and your partners over there? So, you know, just like terroir, um, for Chinese herbs, we have a concept of di dao, which is, means native or indigenous region is that microclimate. And with that, you know, it's important to know where you're getting your herbs. And as we partner with them, what we're seeing at the farm level and the collection level currently, there's going to be some impact on herbs that are, will be harvested soon uh, in the summer months because some of that maintenance work that they needed to do on the farm, uh, they weren't able to do it in February, February, January, let's just say February, let's just make it simple. In February, they weren't able to, you know, do as much weeding and some other things and maintenance as they usually would do uh, because of COVID-19. So that was some of the issue there. But, you know, all in all, so far, the it looks roughly the same. What we worry about is a couple of things. Is, you know, with COVID, there can be two scenarios, three scenarios. Like, you know, basically things are fine, right? Which we all want. There could be what I would call flare-ups, basically localized, um, increases in COVID cases of COVID-19 and then a true return, which means, you know, widespread. So when we look at that, if any of the, whether it's flare-ups or a true return impacts harvesting, that's going to be an issue. So that's, you know, we don't know until we, until we cross that bridge, just like with currently the meat situation, although we have plenty of animals um, in the US to provide enough meat for everyone, but due to COVID-19 and the facilities processing it, that's the bottleneck. So what we always are worried about is situations like that, that we can't quite, you know, although it might look good here, it might be something else further down the road in the supply chain that causes the bottleneck. Very true. You look at logistics and shipping and, and all the different uh complex parts of uh, what we call the supply chain or the supply network and all the different companies and parties and, and things that make it up. Uh, one barrier in one of those little connections can, can cause a problem. And that's where this whole idea of resilience in a supply chain or a supply network is becoming very important right now. Um, specific to our market, this market, the botanical market and medicinal herbs and uh, in the U.S. in particular, what are your observations there um, at, on the supply chain, but also on the demand side and maybe on the, uh, the manufacturing and brand side? Yeah, I think on the supply chain side, you know, there's going to be hiccups and the people that are 
built their supply chains to be resilient will be are doing just fine and people that are transactional based are really scrambling for especially if the item is hot they need um, on the demand side demand's going through the roof um, we're leaving a lot of business on the table because you know, like I said we're not doing overtime and we're not doing extra shifts and uh, we're just filling what we can so I think on the demand side it's really going through the roof I think it's not only on branded brands that we're familiar with and buying the grocery stores and supplement stores, but also practitioners business has been increasing rapidly because they can help their patients with issues that they have and give them herbs to support their wellness and whatnot. So not only that, it's, it's anything related to health right now and a healthy lifestyle, I think, the demand is high. <laughs> yeah, absolutely true. And then so, you know, with that comes risk also in those uh, transactional relationships or with um, companies that aren't as experienced, um, maybe, uh, or don't have the same high standards, uh, the potential for adulteration in the supply chain and, and things like that. I know that, that uh, others that I've had on the show expressed concerns there that uh, when I, we, we see this in all kinds of markets, not just our market. Yes. When there's high demand and stresses on supply, uh, you tend to see uh, some problems arise. You know, any concern? I know you work a lot with American Herbal Products Association. You've been on the APA Board of Trustees and uh, lead a lot of the, uh, the work on the committees there. And in fact, uh, you were just recently given the APA Herbal Hero Award for 2020. Congratulations. That would have been presented at Natural Products Expo West. Um, and we're hoping that we'll be able to see some type of an official in-person presentation at Supply Side West. Uh, but congratulations just the same for your leadership uh, there. What are your views on that issue of uh, economic adulteration and some of the challenges industry might face in these times of high demand and, and sometimes challenging supply? So first of all, thank you for uh, the recognition and uh, and the great work that APA does. They really do a great job and a true leader in quality, safety, regulations for the industry, and also against fight, fighting adulteration. I think there's this uh, the talk about adulteration, discussing about adulteration comes in many flavors and folds. Uh, for our products, the chances of adulteration tend to be lower um, because we sell herbs and and rec in fairly recognizable form. So a piece of ginger should look like a piece of ginger. Uh, you may be able to shave weight, but you know, for the most part, identity is an issue. Uh, I think as you move away from bulk herbs, Exactly, right? You right, okay. all recognize that as ginger, right? Yeah. See, so, yeah, we're doing the show from my kitchen slash office. So I've got my ginger handy right here. Right. <laughs> uh, it might not it might not be the right species of ginger, but you know, True, I don't know that. Uh, but I think you know we were able to identify that quickly if you know what you're doing. Um, I think as the further you move away from something like that solid piece of ginger to something like an extract and whatnot, then the chances of adulteration and cheating are a lot higher. And I also think that some of this adulteration that we talk about is um, driven by the buyer's lack of clarity, whether it's willful or intentional. 
yeah, yeah. Um, one of the things that we're talking about with um, different testing labs was a different species of elderberry. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's available in China, and but the Chinese only used the bark mm. of it. But it is called elderberry in, 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 as, as a common name. And if you don't give the species, mm -hmm. you know, is it, it is adulteration because, you know, it doesn't match the label. But, you know, who, 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 who is the cause of the adulteration, right, if you're not clear? So I think, you know, sometimes it's the buyers being unclear and not being specific enough about what they want and working with probably people that are not as not specialist or so that they won't ask the right questions which one do you want right right yeah <laughs> uh, very true uh so i think you know there's that but i think also we have to be very careful now because of demands up about intentional adulteration where people are the suppliers are willfully uh trying to cheat and i think you have to have a robust program in place. Um, use your labs, use your in-house labs, third-party labs, uh, and use common sense. It was yeah. too good to be true, and probably is. <laughs> probably is. You know, this is where uh, groups like APA are so important, because I would argue that the types of companies that are active members and participants in groups like APA and, and other associations, um, they have the robust processes in place. Uh, they are committed long term to the quality and sustainability and, and safety and efficacy of products. And so uh, from my view, uh, you know, stick with the companies that have been around for a while, right? Um, if a brand new company pops up in a situation like this, and like you say, is selling something that seems too cheap and uh, too readily available, it probably is. Uh, now's a good time to focus on companies like yours that have been around for a while, uh, that are active and very visible members of the industry and uh, truly committed to these principles of safety, quality, transparency, and efficacy. And if you do that, odds are adulteration is not going to be a problem, in my view. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. And I think the key is when what, what we're really saying is that by using companies or doing business with companies that are part of trade associations, you have two types of vetting. One is self-vetting, meaning that I'm committed enough to join an association, invest into the future of the industry and pay my dues. Yeah. And the, th the second vetting is the vetting of all the people that they interact with in the association and making sure that, you know, that they're on the up and up. So I think, you know, trade associations are great and the work that the American Herbal Products Association does is stellar. And thank you for Michael for his leadership. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree with that uh, completely. And also thank you uh, for that. Uh, I also want to point out, Wilson, that uh, you recently wrote an article that we just uh, published not too long ago in uh, Natural Products Insider, one of our media brands toward the end of March uh, about sourcing organic herbs and botanicals in China, uh, and mm -hmm. I would encourage people to go check that out on our uh, Natural Products Insider site. I think it's a great uh, article, and one of the points that you make in there, and I agree with it completely, is that there is very high quality material 
available from China. I've seen it firsthand. I've been there many times and I've been to farms and I've been to facilities, state-of-the-art facilities. And uh, if you, uh, as uh, a buyer of those materials, as long as you do your due diligence, and as you say, uh, form these true partnerships, you can find uh, incredibly high quality, wonderful products coming out of China. And that's a story that sometimes you don't always hear. Um, so uh, I appreciate you writing that article and I think it's a theme we need to continue to talk about because high quality or low quality can come from anywhere. Uh, and uh, my experience in China has been that there's some amazing uh, growers and processors and suppliers there. And I'm sure these are many of the types of partners that you guys work with. Yeah, I totally agree with you. Quality is what you invest in and what you demand from your partners. And if you demand that and that's part of your business model, you'll get what you get, what you want. But if you cut corners and are always looking for something on that's extra special, extra fast, yeah, or a super special price, you probably won't get quality. Just like uh, invest into your partnership and what you want for your company. Yeah, that's the long-term plan. And and so speaking of that long-term plan, in the beginning, I brought up the founding or the roots of your company going all the way back to uh, 1935 with your, your grandmother. Uh, can you mm -hmm. just share a little bit of that story for people that might not be uh, familiar with it? Because I find it incredibly interesting and I think it's uh, really um, uh, sets your organization apart in many ways. Yeah, so my grandmother, um, company was founded by my grandmother and my parents. Um, my grandmother as a child had uh, some kind of illness that the Western doctors back then in the 20s couldn't quite identify and cure. Uh, Western medicine back then was not as advanced as it is now. And uh, my great-grandfather went to the Jing'an Temple, which is in Shanghai. If you've been to Shanghai, you've probably been to it. It's a tourist destination now. And uh, asked the uh, Guanyin, the goddess of mercy, for a favor and uh, make sure that her his daughter gets cured. And uh, if so, she'll send him to med school. She got cured. She went to med school in 1935, uh, practiced in Shanghai for a while. Um, and then the revolution came and she went to Hong Kong. And then from Hong Kong, she went to the U.S. and we immigrated to the U.S. Or I should say she re-immigrated to the U.S. because she was born a U.S. citizen. And uh, we just settled in California, Oakland, San Francisco area, and started our store, retail store, where she saw a lot of patients and that she saw multi-generations from people from Shanghai, then Hong Kong. And, you know, these relationships, it's all about relationships. So she saw the grandma, the mom, the granddaughter, all helping them with various uh, ailments and issues. And from there, uh, because of the style of TCM, traditional Chinese medicine she practiced, which is part of the Minha legacy or tradition, we use very low dosage of herbs. Uh, so the emphasis when you use low dosage is high quality and potency. Um, because if you give very, a small amount of something that isn't potent or high quality, you usually don't get good results. So that's how sort of where our focus on quality and our impetus to start importing our own herbs came from. And from that, 
supplying her and her patients and then taking that and expanding it to industry at this point. So it's been a fun journey about quality and uh, integrity. Yeah, it's a, it's a great story. So I would encourage any of the people watching this to uh, check it out. Uh, to, it's a really interesting story and, and a great organization that's come out of all of that. Wilson, congratulations on that. Uh, last thing, I always end up with this uh, question. I like to ask people in these trying times, you know, there's it changes a lot. Uh, sometimes there can be a lot of uncertainty out there, just, just a lot going on, a lot to deal with. What keeps you going? What keeps you positive and hopeful for the future? I think what keeps me positive and hopeful for the future are twofolds. One is my kids, like I said, that my toddler is teaching me how to approach life again with a renewed curiosity and uh, exploration and really learning on the fly and applying new things. So that gives me a lot of hope that humankind is uh, out there and we have the ability to sort of approach and tackle problem, new problems uh, and learn. And I think the second thing is that our industry is doing great, which is great for us. But what gives me hope about that is it's this focus on health and well-being. And it's we are really focusing on us and we're social distancing so we can protect our community and each other. So this is the hope that I see when I see people sheltered in place and saying it's hurts you know, the, my, my ability to pay my bills and everything else, but I'm willing to do this for the greater good. That gives me a lot of hope and humankind. Yeah, I, I share that same faith in humankind. I think that we have, uh, I've seen it time and time again in uh, all kinds of different challenging times uh, where people come together and they find solutions and they do the right thing. So that is gonna happen again and we will get through this, uh, whatever that means and whatever that looks like. Uh, and again, Wilson, just really appreciate you taking the time to catch up uh, and spend a little time, tell your story, and uh, just great to see you. I wish we could have uh, gotten together as usual in Anaheim at Expo West, but there will come another day when we will all get together in person. And I can tell you this, when that does happen, it will be a great day to see you and all of our friends in this great industry. Yeah, can't wait for that day. And uh, until then, uh, hopefully we'll see each other a couple more times, uh, and not too much, but on uh, via remote remote teleconference. <laughs> yeah, you bet. And you know what? I'd love to catch up again and get another update. Uh, you have a unique perspective with your close ties to China all the way to the, the farmers and all that. So as this situation continues to evolve, uh, maybe you could come back and give us an update. Whenever, whenever, whenever you want. All right, sounds good, Wilson. Thank you so much, and uh, we will talk with you again soon. Will do. Have a wonderful day. Thank you for listening to a Healthy Insider podcast, now available on Apple Podcasts or through Google Play. Subscribe now to never miss an episode.